when you give up on an expectation of something great, you settle. What do you normally settle for? Whatever's in front of you. And uh, that's kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon, but, I mean, it's very human. And it's very people. It's kind of the way we are. We, we may have, at some point in our lives, expectations for something great. We have, at one point in our life, expectations for something fabulous. And along the way, we just give up. And that has, it just happens. Uh, we don't see what we want to see, or we don't see it in the time frame that we thought we were going to see it in, or, or whatever happens, happens, but we just give up, and once we give up, we just look and we see something we like around us, and we just settle for it. And that's the way it is. And so, if that's something that you have done, that don't feel badly. Don't, don't feel badly. Not at all. Uh, all I'm bringing this up for is to say that that's a natural human tendency. And so all of us do that in some ways in our life, that we just give up on our expectations of something greater. And Solomon, I believe here, as he writes this, is beginning to reframe some things. And he's reframing this idea that if we've settled, it's not too late. Uh, to reframe some things, we, we look at, re-examine some things in our life uh, to see if there may be still some faith in us. There may still be maybe some expectation for something great in our life, for something bigger and something better. And I, I look at people that make those kind of decisions later on in life and don't regret it. Uh, they may have settled at some point in their life, but then later on they... They re-examine and they look at it again and they say, I don't, I'm not going to sell anymore. I'm going to do something else. And there's a seed of faith there. There's a spark of faith and they apply it to it. Expectations are born. New ways of seeing things are born and they enter into a new phase, a new era of their life. It's never too late for God to take portions of our life and God to take things in our life and bring redemption and reframe them and for us to see something greater than we ever thought we were going to see. So I, I encourage you toward that. You know, we're all witnessing uh, something really, something that we've never really seen before. Uh, as you know, tomorrow is Election Day. And love him, hate him, I don't care. Uh, Donald Trump is 74 years old. All right? That guy is doing four, five, six rallies a day. He is barnstorming through uh, the, the, the swing states and the places he needs to go to do his rallies and stuff. And like I said, you love him, you hate him, whatever you think about him. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about a guy in his 70s that is doing something that is unprecedented in, in politics in the way that he is going about and he's speaking, he's entertaining, He's speaking to crowds of over 50,000 people. Uh, the Secret Service estimated a crowd the other night in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania, 57,000 people. Rome, Georgia, and I've been to Rome, Georgia. I used to live near Rome, Georgia. Rome, Georgia has about 50,000 people in town. He spoke to a crowd of over 50,000 people in Rome, Georgia. They brought people into Rome, Georgia to hear what he had to say. So, Again, I'm not trying to, this is no statement whatsoever. All I'm saying is, is that that's freaking amazing at 74 years old. And here's a guy that, you know, he made his decisions. He did what he did. I mean, he's been successful in all kinds of ways in his life. And he is not afraid to have an expectation for great things at 74 years old. So look at where you're at. I don't think we have anyone 74 years old in here yet, right? No. I know we don't. And so it's never too late to, to let God and to allow for a greater expectation for your life. And win, lose, or draw, man, that guy's got an expectation for something greater. Something bigger and something better. And I think we can learn from that. And I want to encourage you to learn from that and to take hold of something that would, would 
be beyond that which you see in front of you right now. Would you dare do that? Would you dare uh, just, just allow for that in your life to see something bigger than what's in front of you right now? And I'm not talking about the person across the table, right? Because that would be offensive. But what I, what I am trying to say is that, you know, what's in front of you, meaning that thing which you're looking at or, or maybe that thing which you're selling for right now, but there may be something bigger and better that, that that could be. And if you have a little bit of faith and, you, and let that faith begin to build an expectation in you, you may see some greater things yet to come. It's not too late. And so tonight, as I'm speaking, I want you to think about how Solomon is framing things here. How Solomon is speaking about life and how he's framing some things that, that I think, I think can help us to move toward a bigger expectation for our own lives and move towards something bigger, something better, and something greater for each one of us. So as we look at these verses here, as we look at this verse, he starts off, he says this, he says, a person who pleases God, a person who pleases God, Anybody's Bible say something else other than that? Yeah. Anybody? We all got the same version, don't we? Have we finally arrived at the same version? That's what's happened? Is that what we've become? <laughs> it wasn't even on purpose. I, I, <laughs> you know, I always count on somebody having a different version, actually. But uh, I think we finally arrived at that. But in some in some versions, it talks about how you know the good person, you know the good man, and the idea of being good. And, and so some versions say that, and and so that's one way of looking at what the the words say here. And the other way of looking at it is the person who pleases God, because I mean Jesus spoke to this issue. It's like, well, who's good? And if you look in Mark chapter 10 and verse 18, he's speaking to a guy and the guy's like, good teacher or good rabbi, whatever it is he said there in your Bible. And Jesus looked at him and says, "Uh, why do you call me good? And he makes this statement here. He says that there's none good but God. All right. And so that, that was a pretty good statement to that guy that he could begin to re and, and really understand what Jesus was about to tell him because Jesus was about to tell him something that he didn't want to hear. What he wanted to hear is that he was good. That's what he wanted to hear. And so he starts off by calling Jesus good. And so he's hoping that after he tells Jesus all about his life and all the all the stuff he does and, and all of the, the nice things he does, that Jesus would say, oh, you're good. But he blows it out of the water right off the bat. That he says, hey, good teacher. And, and he says something to him there. And so he blows it out of the water. He's like, well, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. In other words, his chances of being called good were then eliminated. Because he wasn't God. Talking about the, the young man that he was talking to. And so, and, and so we get this idea that we're not good. And so you read a verse like this, and if your version happened to say that, well, you know, a person who's good, well, there's nobody good. And so the, the other way to understand this verse, and it's the way that most of newer translations translate the verse, is that the person who pleases God, because there's none good but God. And so it would be that person that pleases God, and and that may need some tweaking in your brain, too. Like, how do you please God? By being good. No, you missed the point, okay? <laughs> you just missed my point. That that no one is good. So, that's not the criteria for pleasing God. All right? So, that, that's not it. You see, that's what yours in your head. You need to, nope, 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 nope. That, so... So there's something else. There's something other than that that is pleasing to God. And and you think about people in the Bible who God was pleased with. You think about you know the patriarchs. 
were the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, was he a perfect man? No. Did he lie about his wife? Well, yeah, he misrepresented his wife, saying it was his sister. Well, she was his half-sister. You know, I don't want to hear any judgment on that either. Different time, different culture, all right? We're not living like people live today, where they're trying to judge the past by today. That's stupid, all right? You can't do that. It's a waste of time. And it's it's intellectually bankrupt to do so. Yeah, if you haven't heard that, you have heard it here first. Okay, good. So he went ahead, he misrepresented his wife twice. And both times he did, she got carried off by whoever he was misrepresenting his wife about. And God only knows. All right, and and whatever. So she got carried off twice because of him. And then there were other things about Abraham that were kind of... I don't know, a little bit sketchy. But who am I to judge? I mean, God liked Abraham. He formed a whole nation from Abraham. He had, he had a he had a covenant with Abraham that is still in effect to this day. Jesus came from Abraham. Through your seed, the whole world would be blessed. Well, still happening. So, regardless of what we can look at Abraham's life, and I mean realistically, stuff that we know from the Bible. There's stuff that Abraham was about and stuff that he was doing that we could look at and we could say, oh, that was bad. Okay, well, if you want to do that, go right ahead. But the fact of the matter remains, God loves Abraham. And Abraham pleased him. And and there was one factor in Abraham that pleased God, and that was his faith. And God blesses him based on his faith. Isaac... Same thing, was Isaac a perfect man? No. Isaac dealt with fear. You look at Isaac's life and you see him dealing with fear through his life. He was not a perfect man. How about Jacob? Jacob, I mean, he was the deceiver. And he was a guy that, by by you know any standard that we may understand, I mean, he did some really questionable things. God loved him. God formed a whole the whole nation of Israel based on his sons. So, awesome. So, who are we? I mean, if we have any of that kind of judgment in us, we need to let that go. Because all of these patriarchs, all of these patriarchs, were pleasing to God. Moses. Moses killed a man. Committed murder. He had to run away. Moses had fear. Moses tried to get away from the call of God on his life. Moses had problems. And there's another guy, I mean, he started off doing what he's going to do at 80 years old. 80! 80! Need to be a time of reframing in his life. Alright? He had settled on the backside of Midian, tending sheep in the wilderness. He settled. God had different plans for him, though. And God brought about a reframing in his life so that he would see something differently and there would be a greater expectation. There would be something greater that he would be about. And you look at the life of Moses after he was 80 years old. And you look at the signs and the wonders and the miracles and how that guy led a million people and how he he went about and he was a judge over the people and he represented and he stood in the gap between God and man. How he oversaw just moving, that massive movement of people across a wilderness and wandering around that wilderness for 40 years. How he was a military leader. How he was a logistical uh, whiz. When it came to what needed to happen, he was overseeing the children of Israel that whole time and brought them to the edge of the promised land. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to be 80, I want you to think about Moses. I'm serious. I mean, you know, you wake up in the morning after a certain point in your life and you're just sore when you wake up. Maybe you haven't reached that yet. It's coming, alright? It's just coming. So, you you know, and you think about it, it's like, yeah, I'm 30 years old or I'm 40 years old and I'm already sore in the morning. Right. 80 before you even really get started. So we really got started at 80. And... And all of a sudden, expectation for great things. Yeah. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
but he pleased God. It's never too late to be a person who pleases God. Never. Never. And you look at the other sketchy, questionable, imperfect humans that were pleasing to God. And maybe we need to rethink what that means and how that comes to pass. Because there are none good but God. So it says the person who's pleasing to God, God will give him certain gifts. Here are the gifts that God said he'd give him. He said he'd give him wisdom, knowledge, okay, and happiness. Let me go again. Here are the gifts. Here's the person pleasing to God. He's going to give you wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. All right, I'm going to try to define these a little bit here. Just a little bit. Wisdom is to know when to take comfort and to enjoy all that you have. Alright? When to take comfort and enjoy all you have. That's wisdom. In this context. Knowledge is to understand how, how to enjoy all you have. And happiness Happiness is a mind that is thankful and contented with your portion, whatever that portion is. It's an inward joy, a satisfaction of heart, and a peace of mind. That's happiness. Now, this list, these gifts, are somewhat, in a little bit, like another list that you find in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. If somebody could look that up. Romans 14, 17. There's another list like that. It comes from God to his people. Romans 14, 17. Anybody got it? Alright, so Paul is writing to the Roman church because they're arguing about the wrong thing. They're concerned about the wrong thing. They're, they, they've been distracted by the wrong thing. And that's just like the church right there. They're arguing about stuff that doesn't matter. They're upset about things that nobody cares about. They're, they're all in a tizzy about this detail or that thing that they think is so important but nobody else thinks is important, especially God. And so Paul's trying to correct that. And he's trying to say, yeah, well, that doesn't have anything to do with God in your life. That doesn't have anything to do with the rule and reign of God. That doesn't have anything to do with what God's doing in your midst. doesn't have anything to do with His power. doesn't have anything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Even though they were very, very passionate about it. Just because somebody's passionate about something doesn't mean it's right. People get passionate about weird stuff. They get upset about weird stuff. They get trapped in weird ideas and, and weird things. And, and it's just something to behold because it doesn't matter. And so, Paul, when he's writing them, he said, Yeah, the kingdom of God isn't about what you're upset about. The kingdom of God isn't about what you're worried about. The kingdom of God isn't about what you're arguing about. The kingdom of God isn't about what you're spending your energy on. The kingdom of God isn't necessarily about what you're passionate about. And that's important for you to keep in mind too. For me to keep in mind. Because something I think is important or something I think matters may not matter at all. And I have to be aware that those kind of things come up. And those kind of things happen to us that, that we get distracted and we get fixated on the wrong stuff. It just happens. And so every now and then, it's good to be able to take a step back. Every now and then, it's good to be reminded about, oh, here's what's important. What do you say the rule and reign of God's about? See, the rule and reign of God in your life, in the, in the Roman church, 
to the rule and reign of God. Here's what you need to be worried about. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God's about. Now, you read that list, and you read the list here in Ecclesiastes, the gifts that God gives to the person who pleases Him is wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Okay, I know, it's not the same exact list. I know, I know. Don't worry about it. But I want you to consider there's some themes that are the same. I want you to consider there's some things that that appear in those lists that make sense, that are basic to us as human beings, that are basic to our life, that are basic to actually living in that more abundantly, that actually make some sense, especially as we're defining them, of like the idea of wisdom and knowing when to take comfort and enjoy what you have. You know, that's wisdom. Do you understand that? To... To be able to actually look at what you have and take some comfort in it and enjoy it. Not worry about somebody taking it. Not worry about somebody stealing your cheese. Not worried about it disappearing. But to actually enjoy what you have in front of you. To actually take it and use it. Be comforted by it and enjoy it. And if knowledge can be defined as to understand how to do that. How to really enjoy all the stuff that God's given you. How not to worry. How not to live in fear. How not to live in anxiety over losing everything. You know, and I'm speaking right to my own heart with that stuff. And and people who grew up a certain way, and they get worried about stuff. And I've told stories, you guys, stories about... How, like, even as a, as a late teenager, early 20s, man, I used to hang on to my clothing. And I wouldn't wear it because I never knew when I wouldn't have clothing. And so I could always open the package later if I needed it. But I had shirts in my drawer that were two, three, four years old. Probably didn't even fit me anymore. One of the first things June did when we got married was she went through the drawers and threw them all out. Freaked me out. You freaking me out. But it was the right thing to do. It was right. I needed to learn how to take comfort and enjoy what I had. And I needed to learn how to do that. And when to do that. Because in my mind, something needed to change. Where I could be thankful for, contented with, to have a satisfaction of heart with my portion. And somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, some of that really began to take root. Not that I don't fight some of it, and not that I don't have to just resubmit myself under this over and over again. But some of it began to take root. You see, life has trouble in it. It just does. There's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times, hard times, easy times. Times of plenty. Sometimes there's times where there's not so plenty. Some stingy times, too. But finding that place where all that is tempered and seasoned and it's still all okay. I believe that's the place God wants us to live. And so if we're going to think about what pleases God, one of the things that pleases God is faith. We know that. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about faith. And, and we know this, that without faith, what? It's impossible to please God without faith. Okay? So we know we need faith. In order to please God. Gotta have it. You gotta have faith. And so, you look in and you think to yourself, alright, well, so, I need, I need at least some kind of faith. Jesus said enough faith. What, how much faith? Faith as a, as a grain of a mustard seed. In other words, that's a little itty bitty bit of faith, but that can move a mountain. So, 
It's not like we need some massive amount of faith. We need just some faith. We need a little bit of faith. But we need to apply that little bit of faith. That faith needs to be planted somewhere. It needs to be put into something, into some kind of soil. And it needs to be watered. It needs to be encouraged. And we need to look at that and put it to action, put it to use. You know what good seeds are in a drawer? None. None. The seeds aren't going to do you any good in a drawer. you got to plant them. And you got to water them. And you got to see them grow. And, and they got to become something. And faith is like that. If you're not planting your faith somewhere, if you're not using your faith somewhere, if you're not you know, utilizing whatever faith you have, as small as it is, but you're not utilizing it, it's not going to do you any good. It's like seeds in a drawer. Now, i got a weird example I'm currently involved in. Uh, one of the supplements I take is this disgusting algae that I mix with water every morning and I drink it. And it's really disgusting. It's kind of slimy and it congeals. And so, it's just nasty. It tastes terrible. I don't have anything good to say about it. It's green, as you would imagine. And so, I keep it in a bucket. It comes in a in like a an envelope, like a sealed envelope. That's how it gets mailed to me. And I dump it into a bucket, and I take it out of the bucket with a spoon every day to put in my water so I can drink it. Well, I noticed the other day, well, a few weeks ago, I noticed it was getting low. And I know it's getting low because I put the spoon in and it hits the bottom of the thing, but nothing comes up. So i got to shake it a little bit to get a little bit of the disgusting algae onto my spoon so I can put it in my water. So, so uh, a couple of a few weeks ago, I said, you know, I need to order some more of this, some of this disgusting algae. i got to pay money for it, all right? Have them ship it to my house. And so I was about to just take out my phone and order Amazon. And the thought occurred to me, it's like, do you want to rob yourself of the widow's oil? There's a story in the Bible about how this widow, uh, she, she had oil and she was running out of oil. And the prophet said, or there's two places where this happened. And the prophet said, no, uh, you're not going to run out. And so she just kept getting oil out of the thing. Alright? You know, there's the one story of the oil and the Aunt Jemima pancake mix. And the woman never ran out of either. And she's able to keep making little pancakes. And then there was the other where it was just the oil. And she just kept getting oil and oil and oil. They were able to sell it. And we had an abundance of oil from it. And uh, so both times the prophet says something. So I'm looking at my disgusting green stuff in this jug. And I'm like, do I want to rob myself of this widow's oil moment? And the answer was no. And so I'm going to exercise my faith, I decided, a few weeks ago. I'm going to keep sticking my spoon in there every day. And I'm going to pull out disgusting green powder. I'm going to stick it in my water. I'm going to drink it. And I'm just going to keep going. And so I just kept going. And so I'm in the midst of one of those moments right now where I, I just keep exercising faith. Now... I know that sounds silly, right? A little bit with algae powder. But I want you to hear me and understand that these are the places where your faith is going to be built. You've got to use it. You've got to use it for something. I mean, we can't be those people that we save up all of our usage of faith to those moments where we just have to cry out in exasperation. God, uh, my car doesn't start and I'm late for my... My, uh, you know, my next interview or whatever it is, you know, and, and yeah, those things happen and we cry out. But, you know, if you want to be effective in crying out in those moments, you need the little moments where your faith is being built, where your faith is active and where your faith is growing and things are being watered and that seed is becoming something and it's becoming a plant or a tree or whatever it is it's supposed to be. You have to utilize your faith for something or else it nothing and you go from zero to a hundred miles an hour because your car doesn't start you know it's a lot easier to go from 80 to 100 
Then it goes from 0 to 100. It's even easier to go from 50 to 100 than it is from 0 to 100. And that's why little things matter. And that's why the little stuff matters. And that's why we have to build that and we have to live in that. And it needs to become a part of our lives in some tangible way. I mean, is it that big a deal for me to order new algae from Amazon? No, it's not. I can order it. I got the money in the bank. I can order the Amazon algae. But I want to use it. I want to use it to build my faith. You see strategically why that matters? And you look for those opportunities in your life to strategically build something some faith to, to strategically apply that faith to things in your life. Because without that kind of faith, it is, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. So let's keep it in the realm of possibility. Alright? And the way we're going to keep it in the realm of possibility is we're going to apply faith to small things. We're going to apply faith to things in our life that that maybe no one else would think is a big deal, but we know. And we're going to grow faith that way and see faith grow in us that way. So I just told you a secret, alright? I told you the secret of my algae. No one else knows about that. So don't tell anybody and don't come borrowing algae either. Alright? All I'm saying is, is that nobody needs to know. Nobody cares. But it can mean something to you. It can mean something to your relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I like the gifts that God gives to the people who please Him. I like that. I like wisdom and knowledge and happiness. The whole world's looking for those things. Lots of rich people don't have those things. You know, and, and I've said this before. And it, it does, and I hope it doesn't escape you. Why do rich people commit suicide? If money was all it was cracked up to be, why do they commit suicide? Why do famous people commit suicide if fame was all it was cracked up to be? Why do powerful people commit suicide if, if being powerful was all it was cracked up to be? And maybe not even that extreme. Why are they depressed? Why are they on antidepressants? Why are they struggling to live? Why are they in and out of of alcohol and drug clinics. If it was all it was cracked up to be, why do they hate their lives? Follow? Right. God gives gifts to the people who please Him. And that's not as, as big a deal as you think it is. If, if it's just being a people of faith, you can affect that in your life starting tonight. You can. We know it's not about being perfect because Nobody I mentioned that God was pleased with was perfect. It's not It's not even about being sort of perfect because some of those guys, I mean, like Moses committed murder. David committed murder. You look at Abraham. He gave his wife up to save his own skin. Isaac living in fear. Jacob. I mean, how many times does that guy do stuff that was a little shady? Lots. So it's not about those things and those stuff that you think it's about. It, it, it's, I think it's a lot simpler than that. But we do know one thing it's about, that's faith. And you can affect that tonight. You can affect it. So let's look and see the person who doesn't please God. And it's, it's interesting that the person who doesn't please God, whatever's going on in their life isn't always obvious, and you need to keep that in mind. Number one, you probably don't know the person who doesn't please God. If they please God or they don't, and I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. We're just being told what happens. And so we don't need to identify the person. We just need to understand the principle behind this. And to understand that, that the person who does not please God, and, and the, the writer, some of your versions there, some Bible versions says the sinner. What happens to the sinner is that they, they have little or no purpose in their life. And so God gives them some, 
some gifts too. You ready? They're not really good gifts. But the person who doesn't please God, what's some of the gifts they get? Insatiable desires is one. That's not good. It's not good to have an insatiable desire. I had an issue going on a few weeks ago where my ankle itched. And it was itched so much, I could scratch it and scratch it and scratch it. Guess what happens when you scratch something too long? Yeah, it turns into a sore. And you know what was really bad about this? It still itched even after it turned into a sore. And so then I would try to ignore it. But guess what would come up again? It would itch. And so I ended up having to do, you know, take drastic measures to try and stop it from itching. It was an insatiable thing. No matter how many times I scratched it, no matter how much I was scratching that itch, it would still itch. It makes you crazy. Insatiable desires are like that. Things that are in your life that can never, ever, ever be met. They will drive you crazy. To the point, you will be an angry, bitter, nasty person. And what needs to happen in our lives, we need to recognize what they are as insatiable. In other words, you got these things going on in your heart, you got these things going on in your life, these insatiable desires. So you got to recognize what they are. This desire will never, ever be met. And you can look at this as being unrealistic. You can look, you can change the word there, insatiable, unrealistic, unattainable. Whatever it is that you're looking at, it could be any of those things, but they all lead down the same path. And the same path is, is just irritation and frustration and anger and bitterness. That's where they go. There is no fairy tale. It's not. I mean, there is in books. And in romance novels. Hallmark movies. I get it. But that isn't life. That's not how life is lived. I mean, the guy who breaks down outside your house in real life may be setting you up for a home invasion. I don't know. Okay, he may not be your next uh, love of your life. Okay, just say it. <laughs> just say it, all right? So, all, all, I'm, all I'm trying to get at is that there's unrealistic stuff that's out there that if you take hold of that and you let that take root in your heart, you're, you're going to be in a place at some point of frustration, bitterness, and anger. And I want to encourage you not to let stuff like that take root in your heart. Because that's something that I believe that God allows in us. That's a gift that He gives to those that don't please Him. What do you need to please Him? Faith. And part of that faith and part of the gifts that He gives the person of faith is that they know when and they know how and they find satisfaction and comfort in what they have. Not a fantasy. Not some unrealistic thing. Not some fairy tale. But what they actually have in real life. And that's part of the gifts that God gives us and God gives the people of faith and gives the people who please Him is that they find rest and satisfaction and they find life in what they have. And they understand the difference. And again, the context of this is, is being satisfied with what you have but not being afraid. And remember how I started this? But not being afraid to have an expectation for something greater. And there's two different things going on there. But if you can be satisfied in that which in what your portion is, if you can be satisfied in what God's given you, if you can be satisfied with what God has laid into your life and still have an expectation for something greater, that's where you want to be. 
See, the, the person that's not of faith, they're chasing the wind. They're trying to grab hold of something that's not in their power to grab hold of. They're trying to make something happen that isn't even possible to make happen. And the only way they, they could even try to come to any kind of, of conclusion or any way they could even come to any kind of, uh, of place of, of where they even feel like, oh, maybe, it's just to make stuff up. And you see people doing that all the time. I'm always shocked by how far someone can go to make something up. Especially with other people. Man, you see somebody in love? Love? And they describe this person that they're in love with. They're like the perfect person, but you meet them and your thought is, huh? Seriously? Wow. But our capacity to make stuff up is huge. Huge. Especially when we're just trying to make something happen in our own strength. We refuse to accept our lot and our portion. We won't find any satisfaction in it. We don't find any satisfaction in the portion that God has given us. And we're constantly striving, 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 striving for something we want. Chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. As Solomon would say, that's just vanity. Another gift that not only does he he give, not only does he give the person who doesn't please God, not only does he give them insatiable desires, he also gives them a task. They got some travail. They got some work. Some wearisome labor. That's what that word means. Wearisome labor. And their, their labor is this. They gather wealth. That's their labor. Every time I go see my financial advisor, he said, tells me that gathering wealth is a good thing. And I can't help but think that that's the gift that God gives to those who don't please Him. That is the wearisome travail of people who don't please God is that they, they gather wealth. They gather wealth. Now, I know that's weird, right? Because most of us have some kind of background that tells us, oh yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. That's the good thing. Well, no, no, that's the bad job. That is the bad job. That God gives people who don't please Him. Not only does He give them an insatiable desire, He also gives them the job of gathering wealth. Now, if you have both of those things, if you have insatiable desire and you have a job where you gather wealth, do you ever have enough money? No. It's impossible. You can't have enough money if both those things exist. You can't. Because no matter how much money you have, you desire more. Doesn't matter. Well, I got a million dollars now. Don't matter. I mean, how many professional athletes do you have to hear the story of? They gather wealth, gather wealth, gather wealth, and then three years after they retire, they're broke. How? Well, they have an insatiable desire. For what? Name something. I don't know. Hookers? Yeah. Drugs? Yeah, alcohol, yeah. And when I, you know, I, I'm judging somebody. No, I'm just saying there's an insatiable desire for houses, for cars, for whatever. And so if you, you buy, you buy, you buy, you buy, you make more, you make more, you, have, you buy, you buy, you buy, you make more. And so you're gathering wealth. Well, that, they're doing it like it's their job. Well, it is. God gave them the job. Gather wealth, gather wealth, gather wealth. But they have an insatiable desire and they can never enjoy it. They never know when to enjoy it or how to. Because those are the gifts 
that God gives to people who please Him. He doesn't give those gifts to the people who don't please Him. They can't figure that out. They can never have enough. Never. There's no comfort in the riches that the person who doesn't please God gains. There's no comfort in that. And they end up storing wealth. Storing wealth. Storing wealth. And the end of the verse is so awesome. To what end? To what end? They store up wealth, store up wealth. They can never enjoy it. They never find comfort in it. They never find peace in it. They never have enough. And the end is that they gather wealth to hand it over to the person who pleases God. Now I know you're thinking to yourself, is that always true? I don't know. The Bible says it. I believe that. If I'm going to put my faith towards something, I'm going to put my faith toward what God says. And, if, and even if I look at this and say, well, maybe it was just Solomon talking. Well, he's still one of the wisest, the wisest guys that ever lived. I mean, he's a lot smarter, a lot wiser than I'll ever be. This is what he had to say. And he had a lot of wealth. You know, what's the old saying with wealth? You can't what? You can't take it with you. Alright, you can't take it with you. So you're going to hand it to somebody. You will hand it to somebody. See, I never came from a family that really gathered wealth or stored wealth. Um, kind of lived it. Didn't really have much left. That was okay. I came from a family that, though that, that was satisfied and was content with what they had. And I learned, at least early on, how to do that. I got a little screwed up along the way. But, but I had an idea of what that meant in the way that I grew up. To the point that when the last of my family died, which was my mother, I was thankful to Jesus, and I kid you not, I thanked him that she didn't leave me in debt because of her debt. Because she didn't. And I was really thankful for that. I would made provision in my life to pay off her debt once she died. Because that's just the way we are. That, that's how people grew up. That's how we were raised. And it didn't happen. And I considered that to be a blessing of God in line with this. In line with this. That there was something that was broken somewhere along the line. A certain satisfaction, a certain I don't know, contentment. That God gave that was preserved in us. So I want to encourage you toward this. I don't know that if I that I, I literally see this all the time. I have no idea. I just want to believe it. I don't know that I can give you an exact example of this, but I tell you, I, I'm going to believe it as it comes to pass. I mean, in some ways, we as a church see this all the time. In some ways. And we look at our, our missionaries and there are certain missionaries that we have that are supported. And I mean supported by people who may or may not know God at all. And I always say, man, they're handing over their wealth to the person who pleases God. Thank you. Thank you. So I see it in some practical ways, but I, I just really believe that this is just the way God does things. And so I want to encourage you to be someone who pleases God. Be a person of faith. 
I want to encourage you to exercise whatever little bit of faith you have, but put it to task. Put it to task. Don't keep it in a, a little glass case to break in case of emergency. But take that little bit of faith and, and put it to task in some little things in your life. Put it to task with some things that, that are going to be coming up every day. Put it to task so that it can grow and it can be watered and it be, can become something in your life. Because for sure we can't please God without it, so we need it. And the only way I know to really keep it moving forward in our life and to, to keep ourselves in that position is to exercise it. And just keep it growing and keep it going. I don't know about you, but sometimes somebody gives me something, I like to receive it. You know, you leave me a present somewhere with my name on it, I might find it. But I'd rather just take it right from you. Alright? That's just my own personal preference, if you have anything for me. But I want to receive that. So, I, I want to say, okay, God, I receive your wisdom, I receive your knowledge, and I receive your happiness. I receive those things. I, I receive I, to, I receive the wisdom to know when, when to take comfort and joy all that I have. I receive the knowledge to understand how to take comfort and enjoy all that I have. And I receive the happiness for and, and be contented with my portion. I receive those things in Jesus' name. God, if you want to drop some riches that somebody else gathered on me, somebody didn't please you, I'm open to ready to receive. Ready to receive. Heavenly Father, I pray for us tonight that we wouldn't give up on an expectation of greater things for our life. But God, I thank you that it's never too late to start. It's never too late to believe for you for greater things in our lives. And so, God, I, I, I thank you for that. I pray that we'd be a people of faith, simple faith, even little faith, but some kind of faith that's active and working, bringing, God, a contentment and a joy and a happiness in our lives. We receive your wisdom, we receive your knowledge, we receive your happiness tonight, finding that contentment in our life, finding that contentment in, in that which you've given us, a satisfaction, God, our portion. So thanks. Thanks for your provision. Thanks, God, for the life that you've given us. God, we thank you for our friends, our family. We thank you, God, for a peace that passes all understanding. We thank you, God, for guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you for stuff that the world just can't give us. And no matter how good our imagination is, our imagination is never as good as what's really happening in our lives. So thanks. Thanks. Father, I just ask you that you would just keep us in this simple place. A place of faith. A place of contentment in all that you give us. We give you thanks and praise tonight. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's do by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways.
So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. No, yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 